I just want to say something. Oh, oh my God. Welcome to the cold <laughs> open, GP. <laughs> I have something to say, which I know is rare. I rarely speak yeah. my mind. <laughs> What's up, girl? Thank you, everyone, for your concern. I have an air conditioner. Uh, people are very concerned <laughs> that I don't have one. I have one. Uh- it's not great. <laughs> But when I say there's no air conditioner, I mean I can't have it on while we record. That's true. We, we're doing it for you guys. Right. You guys, we've been suffering for you for years. I, you know this by now. I now have a cold compress that I'm going to be using for the yeah. foreseeable. That's it. I just want to clear the air. Well, do you know what I would like to clear the air about? What? I wonder what it could be. J- <laughs> Jillian Pensavale. Patrick Heinz That was horrible That was so bad I heard it In my ear Those are the best I ones know, I don't know what that note was Patrick Heinz What the hell What You guys uh, Hello Welcome to the podcast I feel like it's the first intro I've ever done <laughs> I feel like we haven't done this in a long time. We just did this. We just, we just, we just did, this. did it. You guys, before we get to the show, just a quick reminder, if you want more laughs, get in the Patreon. It's where we do our series, like our episode by episode stuff. So, you know, like McMillions, um, the resurgence of Jillian's, like, I don't know. Happiness. happiness. <laughs> <laughs> Tiger King, Don't Have With Cats, Lorena. What else, girl? The Staircase, Making a Murder, The Jinx, yeah. OJ, Menendez Brothers. Lacey There's Peterson. It's, it's where all the fun laughs, good times. It's also where you can get ad-free versions of these episodes. There's ringtones, after parties, quarantine check-ins, so much content, you're going to be just bored to death with us. Yeah, hopefully. That's the goal. (laughs) Um, Also, we launched a new podcast, you guys. We're almost 10 or 12 episodes in at this point. It's Obsessed with Disappeared. It's Ellen Marsh and me recapping episodes of IDs Disappeared. It's really funny. People like it. As they should. The other thing, girl, remind them about the merch. Oh, we have, like, our merch has been kind of revamped and upgraded. We have more of it now. It's back in action. And we're donating all the money to charity. Yeah. How about that? Go get a t-shirt or a mug, you guys. It's all going to LGBTQ, women's rights, charities to support Black Lives Matter, some animal charities. The more you spend, the more we're going to get. We're giving all of it. We're not keeping a dime of it. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, how dare you? That's like, rude. don't insult me. Girl, what are we talking about today? We are talking about Trial by Media on Netflix, episode one, Talk Show Murder. Yeah, so this is the Jenny Jones Murders one. You guys, we are going to do each episode in a row. There's six episodes. The reason we wanted to do this is because we really are having fun focusing on, like, the topical cases, the ones that you guys, like, know about. And Trial by Media did a lot of those. So we're just going to go through the series. It's not serialized. Exactly. So it's not like you have to listen to the first one to understand the second one. They're basically six different standalone documentaries. That's exactly right and so episode two is available right now in ad free on patreon we're only going to do it for the first two but i want to tell you it's about the subway vigilante and it's directed by my friend sky borgman you guys sky Sky! it's the first thing that sky has directed since abducted in plain sight if you loved abducted in plain sight go listen to episode two of this and then watch her episode it's genius it's brilliant she's such a secret keeper because when we were drinking in new orleans she didn't mention anything about this thanks a lot sky she's got an episode of um unsolved mysteries that she's doing as well and she's got I, I can't say much more but she's literally working on like five projects right now like uh, she is in demand anyway that episode is available right now ad free on the Patreon girl are you ready to talk about some gay Jenny Jones shit I mean yeah is there any other kinds <laughs> 
girl, I'll get us started this week just because the first like three minutes of this is just like little clips of the trashiest 90s talk show moments. I have something to tell you. Um, I've been having an affair for the past five months. I get sick and tired of seeing an Uncle Tom here sucking up trying to be a white. Go ahead, Are you sleeping with Leo? Yes, I am. these names why did you even marry her because i needed a place to live do you want to know the big note i have above all else yeah ricky lake you're better than this girl did you watch all these i didn't watch any of them well i watched ricky lake because the thing was they all wanted to be oprah they all started out wanting started to be legit <laughs> and so ricky lake started out super legit like her first season was like super i mean ricky lake is like a gay icon she's from like the hairspray movie and the john waters yeah. shit like ricky lake is i mean i am obsessed with her and she's started out legit with like real actual topics and like three weeks in it was like wives beating up girlfriends and wigs flying everywhere yeah the clip of her is are you in fact sleeping with leo ricky <laughs> ricky and then it's like if you hate her why'd you live with her because i needed a place to live he says i mean it's just like there was a time in the 90s where like daytime doc shows were the trashiest yeah. trash that ever trashed it's just i mean it's like you know geraldo who we already knew was garbage jerry springer yeah. Montel Williams, Jenny Jones, Sally Jesse Raphael. It was a Maury. Maury Povich. I always let him off the hook. I forget him. You are the father. Yeah, I mean, come on. And it was all like gotcha stuff. And totally. When I was, I guess maybe I was too young to like give a shit. It's a little before your time. Like our age difference is such that if I was around for it, you wouldn't have been there yeah, yet. Yeah, and it always just seems so fake to me. Like, and I know some of it is clearly real, but it's all like they call it ambush television, and it just seemed like people just wanted oh I could get 500 bucks for pretending that I have sex with my cousin or something like it, a lot of it seems so staged right. and fake like in, I, like, I, in what universe has you have you ever like jumped up and started punching someone in the face because they said they <laughs> liked you had a crush on your mom or something you know it was, everyone was just at 100 yeah. all the time I guess I'm asking the wrong person Ms. at 100 right. <laughs> I was like I would have been great on these shows but like <laughs> Totally. It did give a lot of airtime to like the Ku Klux Klan. I remember it was always like a grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan was always Folks, a feature. Don't give these idiots attention. I know. How about that kid who says about his sister, she's very much a slut. Are you sexually active? Mm -hmm. Okay, mom, there's your answer. You didn't ask, but I did. She's very much a slut. He's like nine years old. But he, he has the air of like a 57 year old from Bensonhurst. <laughs> she's very much a slut. I don't know what to tell you. I'm like, what? Why are you slut shaming your sister? on television. I don't understand. I know. But this whole section ends with somebody saying, Former producer says the competitive talk show market could be creating a dangerous environment. Hopefully we've hit the bottom. I mean, how much worse can it get? Hopefully we've hit rock bottom, right? I mean, how much worse could it get? Guess what? We come to a screeching halt. Right. It's like, it goes from like music and screaming and fighting yeah. and this montage. And then we get a 911 call of this guy hysterical saying, I shot a man. I think I just killed him. I'm turning myself in. I think I just shot a man. Okay. Okay. Okay, why did you do that? The dispatcher goes, why'd you do that? Like, she's very concerned. I know. 
But she literally, I, and I have in my notes, ma'am, it's not the time for a conversation. Can you ask you if the guy's still breathing? Isn't that the next line in the script? And, but she says, and this is like, Netflix, how dare you? This is so sensationalized. Because yeah. she's like, why'd you do that? And he goes, because he took me on Jenny Jones. And immediately you're like, right. oh, like you're in the audience. But it's not, it's not right. like that. It's a, just bear with us. It's not like that at all. Yeah. The one thing I want to say is the audio of that call is really bad. So I can maybe play it, but like you won't be able to understand it. But it's subtitled and it's fucking tragic. And she's asking the wrong questions. Can you ask an address? Could you ask if the guy is still breathing? Could you like maybe give this guy some indication on, on how to like, I don't know, help save this guy's life? We did hear about seven seconds of the call. So right. <laughs> eventually she got there, I feel. We will get educated very quickly about what it's like to be a dispatcher. Mark my words. This will backfire on us. I have the utmost respect for them. What a fucking hard job. And you know who should not have that job? You. Ms. Patrick Hines. I'm looking right at you. I'm looking right. I have my finger in your face right now. Get out of here, body moving with that. I'm right here. So we just get very briefly, and of course we'll dive into the entire story. It's why we're here. But we get footage of the Jenny Jones show that of course never aired because tragedy struck. Right. But it's like someone has a secret crush on you. Let's have John come out here and see who has the crush on him. Guess what? It's Scott that has the crush on you. You lied to me. <laughs> Did you have any idea that he liked you this much? Um, no, 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 I did not. Oh my God, it's a man. A man has a crush on another man. And it's supposed yeah. to be the scandalous thing. And they manipulated the whole situation. So what happens is a few days after taping, Jonathan Schmitz, who we just heard on the 911 call, shows up at Scott Amador's mobile home. Scott is the guy who secretly had a crush on Jonathan. Yeah. And Jonathan shoots Scott twice in the chest, killing him. Yeah. So... My next line, girl, it says, Jillian, there's a cat here. Are you okay, girl? Look. <laughs> it's not the cat. Right. This is, how do I say this? It's the meowing right. not done by the cat. <laughs> because someone's meowing. Yeah. I said, his name is Frank Amador. He's Scott, the victim's brother. Yeah. And I have in my notes, Frank is meowing to a cat. I'm sorry, but he is. He's meowing yeah. to his cat. And this guy, he, his brother is a victim of murder. He's been through a lot. But the, we report what happens in the documentary. And what's happening right now yeah. is that Frank is meowing at, a, at the cat. And the cat is meowing back. Yeah. <laughs> If I, if I were to sit here and told you I haven't had a heart-to-heart -heart with Pete and or Alfie, I'd be lying to you. I understand. But I speak English to Pete, right. and Pete understands me. So yeah. it's different. <laughs> I mean, it's slightly different. So we're going through family photos with Frank, and yeah. Frank is saying... Scott always wanted to be on TV in the, the limelight. This is him with a girl that played on uh, One Day at a Time. I think her name is Julie Cooper. Sweetheart, that's Mackenzie Phillips. <laughs> no idea who that was her story is tragic and, and horrible but for a time like Mackenzie Phillips like she was a but it's like it's so funny that she said that he's like I think her name was Julie Cooper that's the character's name on one day at a time <laughs> and in the photo he's wearing the exact same outfit he wore on Jenny Jones that like the, oh, the really? jeans and the white shirt and the black vest to which I wrote girl from one gay to another who like with no fashion sense I can tell you I understand what it's like to have one outfit that works and you wear yeah. it all the time because <laughs> you know you're going to be on camera get your picture taken absolutely of course that's not a gay thing. Okay, wow, wow. Okay, the gays can have it. You guys can have it. <laughs> I'm not going to take it away from you. So we learn that Scott, the victim, and John, the murderer, met through this mutual friend, Donna Riley. Donna lived in an apartment complex 
where Jonathan lived and where Scott Amateur's brother lived. Scott came over one day to see his brother, and Jonathan was fixing Donna Riley's car for brakes at the time out in the parking lot of this building. They bond over the fact that they're both like dumb muscle heads who like to fix things. <laughs> exactly. I couldn't have said it better, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> And so they all become friends. And so we see, and I remember these, like we see this like ad, but it's really like when the Jenny Jones show would be going into commercial and they'd be like looking for guests for their new shows. Do you have a secret crush you'd like to reveal to a same sex friend? Call 312-836-9455. If you weren't around and you don't know this scene, it's like they did this solely to cause drama and embarrass the person. The whole goal was to get the audience to stand up and erupt and ideally have at least two people on the stage in a fist fight while the audience was cheering it on. Here's a perfect example. They would call someone and say, remember that one night stand you had? We want to reunite you guys and see if there was some spark there or see something. But when you show up thinking, maybe there's something here with this person I had a one night stand with. Two months after night we slept together, I found out I was pregnant. Do you see a resemblance? Yes. <laughs> bada bing, bada boom, there's a toddler Why? there. And what really happened is that she got pregnant and now you have a baby. It's it's the worst Joan Calamezzo gotcha because the Someone is always there under false pretenses. And that's the point. The yeah. point is to make is embarrass you and, and cause a lot of trauma. The thing I want to say about 1995 when this happens is that it was just on the brink of the world starting to like understand and accept gays into like quasi mainstream. So like Will and Grace came around at this time. Ellen DeGeneres mm. comes out at this time. Melissa Etheridge was big at this time. Everybody thought Rosie O'Donnell was gay and she and she was, but the, she was big. She had her talk show at this time. So like the gay thing was starting to like move its way into mainstream media. So these shows would invite gay people on them sometimes and like you were brave to go. But they were using them as props. Yeah, I agree that that's true but I think yeah. that like it's one of the reasons why I love Scott because Scott gets on the show. It's 1990 fucking five. Not a super safe time to be out loud and proud gay and he's talking about like gay shit on national TV and he's mm -hmm. not ashamed or embarrassed and it's fucking awesome, you know? Yeah, yeah. So like that's where the world was at that time and that's kind of important context that isn't really given here. Mm -hmm. And so Scott contacts the show thinking that like, this is going to be fun. It's a fun, funny thing. This guy's kind of cute. Maybe there's something here. And like you were saying, the show calls John and they're like, hey. They said, you've been identified by someone who has a secret crush on you. It could be a man. It could be a woman. Um, and he would have to come on the show to find out who the individual was. Someone's got a crush on you. It might be a man. It might be a woman. You got to come on the show to find out. And so he agrees to do it. And we have a lot of lawyers here. We have Jonathan's defense lawyer. We have the Jenny Jones defense. We have Warner Brothers media yeah. lawyer. There's a lot of lawyers here because we get like a lot of the, almost all of it takes place in the courtroom. It's either on the Jenny Jones show or footage of the trial. It's yeah. wild. And so John's lawyer, I didn't even write his fucking name down. I was so mad at this guy and he's with us throughout. John's defense lawyer is such garbage and he's saying, Jonathan Schmitz had a very gentle soul. I mean, he was a real nice, sweet, decent guy who was manipulated, used, pushed around, tormented, and triggered into doing something terrible. This is called the gay panic defense. And this is a tactic that was put into play in the 60s and 70s and 80s when straight men would murder gay people. And the, the whole defense of it was they didn't know this person was gay and they found out and that triggered something in them and they killed them. And so therefore it shouldn't be first degree murder. It should be it's third ridiculous. degree or, or manslaughter. Like he's literally spouting the gay panic defense. And this is just the beginning of him being total fucking garbage. We're going to get into what happened right now. We're getting a lot 
lot of the after the fact. But if everyone could shut the fuck up is what I have in my notes. <laughs> okay. Amy Whelan is here and she is, the second I saw her, I sat up a little bit straighter. I knew you would. I knew you'd be in love with her. I knew it from the moment I saw her. Amy Whelan is this lesbian lawyer. She's fucking awesome. And she's here to put everything to bed. She's not taking shit from anybody. And she's also the only, I believe, LGBTQ person because she works for the National Center of Lesbian Rights. Yeah. So like everyone shut up and listen to Amy. She knows what she's talking about. Yeah, and because the whole question that was posed right before she gets here is like, who's responsible for this? Is it the person who like, quote, embarrassed somebody on TV? Are they responsible for their own murder? To Amy, this is all ridiculous. In everyday life, a lot of people will be embarrassed, but the law is intended to protect people from criminal acts, not to give people a pass. <laughs> for murdering somebody because they have some characteristic that you don't like about them. Look, she's amazing and she's going to be with us throughout and she's got a lot of really fucking smart things to say. Well, here's something I have to say. Why am I looking at OJ putting on that goddamn <laughs> <Yeah>. glove again? <laughs> Every <Why>? time. <laughs> Here he is with that smug fucking look on his face putting on that goddamn glove. I never need to see it again. What is happening? Yeah. But what? here's why it's happening. They're trying to make the point that you know, somewhere in the 90s, right around 1995, 1994 with OJ, TV people realize that real life is the best drama around the OJ trial, the Clinton sex scandal, like private things were coming out in the news as entertainment. Court TV started, you know, like this is where we are now. And they're saying that like this kind of culture gave rise to the trashy daytime talk shows. In the 1990s, Hollywood figured out that the best soap opera is real life. Previously, private things were coming out in the news as well as uh, in entertainment. Every television show deals with ratings. And uh, if you don't compete well, you're not going to be there. And so we get this one moment where there's these male strippers. And it made me think of the story that I told the other day where when I was in middle school, I was watching Maury Povich or Donahue or something. And I thought I was home by myself. And it, this was like, I was like 12 or something. It was way before I was out. But I was definitely interested in these male strippers. And sure. I'm like lying on the couch just watching it like transfixed. I was like, oh my God. And then my sister walked in the front door and I thought I was home alone. And I just like closed my eyes and pretended to be asleep. And my sister sister walks into the living room and she goes, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? And you were like, what? what? So groggy. I'm just so I'm just waking up from a dream. <laughs> Where am I? Oh, is that you, mother? I like, know. what? The idea that I ever had to actually officially come out of the closet is kind of a joke. It's laughable, girl. I wasn't going to say it. Thank you for doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you were like 12 when I wasn't out yet. I'm like, girl, please. Please. Out to who, girl? <laughs> So this is where somebody tells us that, like, the whole thing with Jenny Jones was that she started out wanting to be Oprah. And we see these ridiculous videos from her, like, early shows where she's, like, making potpourri and shit. This is going to be a good show today because today we're going to talk about women and stress. Jenny Jones started out wanting to be Oprah Winfrey. Has anybody made this at home? Have you done potpourri? You want color. You want texture. You want smell. But she quickly discovered that her show was more popular as... Jerry Springer. They won't watch male strippers five days a week. They, you watch them from time to they time. They certainly will, and you better haul them out once in a while if you want to survive in the daytime arena. 
And so like Phil Donahue is here to say, you need those male strippers every once in a while. The, here's the thing. Like if you want to survive in the daytime arena, you can't be Oprah, Jenny. You have Jerry Springer being exactly, Jerry Springer never tried to be Oprah. Jerry Springer totally. came right out the gate at a hundred zillion miles per hour. Not unlike yourself being exactly who he was. I choose to take that as a compliment, girl. I choose to take that as a compliment. You should. What you didn't say, but what he's saying is I'm going to make, God damn it, the trashiest show there is. Totally. And that's what I'm going to do. And a lot of these people were like, oh, I'll, I'll try to be Oprah. And then Phil Donahue right. says, you got to get some strippers. Someone's got to get punched in the face sometime. Right. There's got to be a sex scandal somewhere, Jenny, girl. What are you trying to do? And also, there is an Oprah. Exactly. Exactly. Oprah already exists. Don't try to do Oprah. Oprah, right. Oprah has Oprah. Oprah's fine. Don't worry about Oprah. So now we're seeing more of the episode. So the episode was taped on March 6th, 1995. And of course, they never aired this because the murder happens days after. So they just never aired it. Yeah. And so we see the actual show. Yeah. Scott and Donna are seated on the stage. Scott is wearing his one nice outfit, the sure. white shirt with the black vest. His on-camera outfit. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And Jenny is saying like, girl, does, like, does this guy even know that you're gay? And Scott's like, yes, of course he does. And then she's saying like, do you guys have any reason to believe that he might be gay? No. Anything's possible. <laughs> you hope, you hope. Do you have any reason to think he is, Donna? I mean, um, not really. He um, he said that his family kind of questioned him on it. You can see that, like, it's what you were saying earlier. A lot of these people went on these shows for the free trip to Chicago. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what this feels like to me. That, like, three friends go to Chicago together. Like, it doesn't seem like they're taking it that seriously. And Donna says something here that we'll get back to. But Jenny says, you know, do you think Jonathan's gay? And Donna says, well, I don't know. I mean, I do know that his family has questioned him on it. Oh, my God. Are we ever going to get back to that? Which is, like... It's a big deal, like, ugh. Yeah, and so this is the part where Scott is just being, like, truly authentically himself. And Jenny is saying to him, like, what do you like about John? And, like, Scott, in 1995, on TV, is just describing that he thinks he's hot. Um, he's got a cute little hard body. <laughs> um, you know, when you just want to pick up and put your curio cabinet, you know, dust him off once in a while. You want, uh, you want to physically pick him up? Oh, he's just a tiny little cute thing. He's gorgeous. And, like, the audience is going bananas, and right. Scott is, like, not ashamed. He loves it. And I just have in my notes, I'm like, this is truly fucking brave, you guys. Like, this is really brave. And so they bring John out. Take one, get the headphones off of John, and let's have John come out here oh, and right see now. who has the crush on him. Here's John. And, like, John, he kind of looks confused, but he kind of doesn't. And he comes over, and he gives Donna, like, this kiss on the cheek. And then he goes to shake hands with Scott, but Scott kind of awkwardly, like, leans in for the hug. Uh-huh. It's very awkward. There's like a montage of a couple of people saying like, it was an awkward embrace. It was an awkward embrace. Yes, it was quite an awkward embrace. Like, that's what it's known as now. Yeah. And then they get John to sit down and Jenny's like, did you think Donna had the crush on you? Did I? No, we're good friends. Well, guess what? It's Scott that has the crush on you. You lied to me. John laughs. For me, John's reaction to all of this is perfectly fine, and I'm mm -hmm. going to get more into that in a second. But they replay this moment from before John came out where, like, Scott is explaining, like, a sexual fantasy. Uh, before we talk, take a look at it. will show a little playback of what uh, Scott said about you, uh, John. Take a look at that oh, monitor. Right here. Um, I got a pretty big hammock in my yard, and I just, yeah, I thought about it. tying him up to my hammock. Um, and? Well, it entails like whipped cream and champagne, stuff like that. It's silly and it's, it's very brave of Scott to be saying these things. Yeah, but Jenny's not doing it for that. No, and, no, and, no, no. I, I totally agree. And so it's kind of... 
it's not like cute or funny to make someone uncomfortable for the sake of it. And that's what Jenny is using Scott and his gay fantasy, which is like, have the fantasy. That's fine. But like, she's doing it to hopefully make Jonathan erupt. And that just like, what? So this is my whole thing, right? Because now we got all these talking heads analyzing John's reaction, right? And they're going over the awkward hug and he's smiling too much. For me, I think that John and Scott and Donna are all very close. Yeah. I think that like John isn't bothered by this. I don't think like I was saying that like we can't look at his reaction from a 2020 lens because I think the way that John reacts is appropriate for 2020. Where you're like, oh, this is my gay friend and he has a crush on me and this is kind of awkward and embarrassing. That's his reaction. The normal 1995 reaction would be throwing the chair, calling him the anti-gay F word, right. punching him in the face. This guy, John, isn't doing any of that. He's like, he's kind of going along for the ride. And I get that he might be putting on like a face and realizing that like it's an awkward moment, but he's laughing and I kind of appreciated the way that he was handling it. I have the same thing in my notes. I say, you know, right now he seems to be kind of taking it all in stride. He's kind of like, oh, he laughs. You guys lied to me. Oh man. And it's kind of very like, aw shucksy. And I, I'm writing all these notes and then all the talking heads came on and say almost verbatim exactly what I wrote. Even our girlfriend Amy is like, I actually thought Jonathan came out and was very good natured. He seemed pretty okay. Is it me? Like he seemed fine. I know. And the, and I want to put it again in context and say that like, this is what I would expect from somebody in 2020 that this happened to. 1995, the way that John is acting is very ahead of its time. It's very accepting and loving. Like it's very like, these are my friends and this is ridiculous, but I'm not bothered by it. I'm not really embarrassed about it. And I wonder if this is why Jenny is needling them because I don't think it's going the way that Jenny thought it was going to go. I was just going to say that same thing. She's not getting the reaction she wants on stage. Everyone's like, you know, screaming and, and cheering in the in the audience. But so she keeps asking these questions like, did you have any idea that he liked you this much? Um, no, 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 I did not. Can you tell us not. what your status is? I mean, are you involved with anybody or? Um, no, but I am uh, definitely a heterosexual, I guess you could say. Did you know? Are you are you like uncomfortable? Whatever. And she does something that like I really want to zoom in on for a second. She yeah. she does this thing and she asks a question to Scott, asking him if he's disappointed that Jonathan's not gay. Again, needling them. I know exactly what you're gonna say. And instead of letting him answer, she talks right over him and says yeah. to Jonathan, "Are you very disappointed?" No, actually, no. You know, the thing it's is... A nice comp- it's a nice compliment. It's a nice compliment. It's a nice compliment to pay somebody. We'll take a break. It's a compliment, right? It's a nice compliment. It's nice. It's a compliment. It's a compliment. So she she asks a question, doesn't let the person answer it, and then switches gears and just keeps telling Jonathan what a fucking compliment it is. And I resent all of it. I hate it. Same. And if you notice, John tries to say something. And this is what really stuck with me. John tries to... like He actually has something to say there, and she doesn't let him. And mm-hmm. I think that that would have been whatever he might have said could have ended the whole thing like it might not have gone any farther like mm-hmm. whatever he was about to say felt important to me and the fact that she didn't let him do it i think is kind of a big deal and so we learn that like after the show everything seemed fine they were all hanging out together we get a shot of donna on the stand during the trial and she's being asked did the defendant voice any displeasure about being on the show no did he voice any anger towards scott amateur no. 
and she says like John wasn't mad like he wasn't upset about what happened they all go back to wherever they came from together and then we get this story that three days after the taping Scott leaves a sexual sort of provocative note on John's door or something with a flashing like parking light that they found in the parking lot of the airport when they got back it's something about a tool and turning it on and it's supposed to be provocative I guess and we hear that this is the moment where John decides he has to kill Scott. I'm calling bullshit on that. I believe the notes said something to the effect of, you have the tool to turn this off. He just indicated that he became angry, and uh, at that point he indicated he, he just made a decision to kill Amador. So Jonathan went to the bank. He then went and purchased ammunition. He then went and bought a gun. According to the documentary, Jonathan gets in his car, goes to the bank, gets cash, and then buys a shotgun and a bunch of ammunition because of this note after they were just partying for two days straight. Yeah, and then he like buys a gun, buys the ammunition. And then he drove to Scott's mobile home in Orion Township, knocked on the door. There was some sort of discussion. At that point, he told Scott that he had to go out and shut his car off. He exited the residence and retrieved the shotgun. We learn that there's a roommate home, and then John tells Scott he's got to go to the car to turn the car off, comes back with a gun, uses it to open the door, and then we see the roommate on the stand, and he's saying the gun went off, there was a shot, and that's it. Scott dies on the floor, and it cuts to Scott's brother, Frank. And Frank is saying that, like... When he described what happened, the smoke coming from his body and the wheezing and things, um... It had to be an awful thing for him to uh, be there. And then wait for the ambulance and all that. Hearing the roommate describe the smoke coming out of Scott's body and hearing the wheezing, like how awful it must have been for the roommate in that moment. Right. And then on top of that, it just becomes a media circus. And Frank, Scott's brother, says like that's when everything became unreal because this was three days after the taping. And we know that it hasn't aired yet because some neighbor, some townsperson (laughs) is just like, I don't know what happened. I have no idea. I'm just in shock. It had to do with the Jenny, Jenny Jones taping. I don't think they've showed it yet because we were waiting to see it ourselves. You know, we've been waiting for that episode. Is it out? Oh, it's not. Why? Oh, really? I know. So now we get a little bit of Jonathan's mental health and his personal history. Yes. And this is all from testimony on the stand. Yeah. And we learned that like he was bipolar. He had a syndrome of affective disorder and he has depression reoccurring. He said he has made attempts of suicide. Jonathan had taken a whole bottle of my heart medicine. This was a young man who had a lot of baggage. John, the murderer, was bipolar and depressed and he had attempted suicide in his life. We learn about his fucking garbage father. I hate his father so much. This insane story where the dad says he found out that John was skipping school. I found out that John had been uh, skipping class and uh, I, I punished him. I took off my belt and I pulled his hair and strapped him on the uh, butt as I took him in the class. Is this in front of the class? Yes. He drags him into the room by his hair and does this in front of the class. And this is like, we're just getting started with this piece of shit. I know, I know. We're just getting started. I know. Also, where's the fucking teacher that allows this to happen? What the fuck? Jonathan's father is a bully 
and homophobic and garbage. And he is one of those people who just makes you think that he has some kind of authority. I could see it now. He probably oh, is yeah. threatening the teacher and how oh, I mean yeah. he probably made it so that this just sort of happened to everyone and it traumatized everyone in the room, mostly his son Jonathan. And so this is where the lawyer is saying, like And then after the show, John was completely humiliated and and revealed his humiliation, not in so many words, but only an idiot wouldn't see how humiliated he was. You guys, it cuts to my girlfriend, Amy Wheeland, who's just staring. It's like only an idiot wouldn't see how humiliated he was. Boom, Amy, Amy. Wheeland's face. No, it shouldn't be humiliating. Imagine if every time a woman is hit on in a bar, she can just fly into a rage and kill that person. The amount of times Amy has had to repeat herself in her life. Not, I mean, just imagine how totally. many dumb idiot straight people she's had to educate where it's just common sense yes. and she does it again and Amy you're doing right. the goddess's work here let me tell you here she, she's looking down on you very very happy so Amy says I don't care if he's humiliated how about this I'll do you one better how about every time a woman is ever made to feel humiliated yeah. or uncomfortable by a man she just went out and killed him I'm like now Amy now hold on a second <laughs> I want to move to that island girl we need to move to that Amy's I Law oh my god that and that's a show I watch <laughs> we got Beth Malone to play Amy Amy? Yeah, or just a reality <laughs> show, whatever you got. I don't care. I'll take it any which way I can get it at this point. Right. <laughs> So, like, this section ends with John being found guilty of the, quote, lesser offense of second-degree murder. And fucking our girlfriend Larry King is back, and Larry King, of course, is interviewing one of the jurors. And Larry asked her, did you kind of like John? Do you think he was a good kid? Do you? Did you like Jonathan? Absolutely. I told my husband right after the trial started that I wouldn't even mind having a son like that. I think he's a wonderful person and it's just an uns uh, it's an unhappy set of circumstances. They're all saying, were it not for this like creepy gay guy hitting on him, none of this would have happened. They are all taking the murderer's side. This guy took a shotgun and killed this man in his own, in his own home. She goes, I think he's a wonderful person. I was confused, Joyce. Joyce O'Brien, you confused me because... <laughs> uh, and also, like, how much could you really get to know someone in a murder trial? You know what I mean? It's not like you're, you're, it's not like you really get to exactly you're not having good conversations with him he probably wasn't allowed to say a goddamn word because his garbage lawyer said you shut up you zip your lip which is good advice right however he's a wonderful person <laughs> I wish I had five just like him what are you talking about Joyce yeah and then like Frank the brother is saying to us now I've even talked to his dad and we were all there together you know and somehow we all kind of felt like we all got screwed you know we all we, sh we shouldn't even be here. We all felt like we lost there. And they do this whole round robin where they even get Frank to say that John was a victim too. And, you know, it's that whole thing where they're trying to blame the Jenny Jones show for creating the situation. And this part felt really gross to me because they had to all be on the same team because there's going to be a civil suit. And so rather than like Frank being able to just say like, you know what, you shouldn't have killed my brother. Mm -hmm. You're responsible for your own actions. He's now saying, no, the murderer of my gay brother, he was a victim too. And it was all of this was created by the Jenny Jones show. Right. So now Jonathan is sentenced to 25 years. Okay, by Jonathan for now. Now we're in the middle of the civil suit where they're suing the Jenny Jones show and Warner Brothers for $50 million. And Frank, Scott's brother, decides to hire Jeffrey Figer. <laughs> only one has stood up and taken on big business and the government. And only one is one of the most famous trial lawyers in America. There is only one.
Jeffrey Figer. You know me, girl. Is there anything that I like about this guy? No. From the fake tan to talking in the third person to just being trashy. And I'm just like, like, he is one of those people where, like, at first I was like, where's this show on Fox News, like, right after Janine Pirro? And then I'm like, no, no, no. He does, like, the Alex Jones route where he's just, like, on the internet because Fox News is, like, too liberal for him. And I'm like, girl. Like, I, I just, I have a, I, don't, I do not like Jeffrey Figer. I'm saying it. We see him at home. And, of course, he lives in a fucking mansion. And he's so rich. And he takes all the high-profile cases. But his whole house is decorated in like the tackiest trashiest art where it's like him as a warrior him as a king as him jesus. as jesus <laughs> and he also like he also just looks like the kind of stand-up comic i can't stand because he has totally. like this massive headshot and he has this zany look on his face but he has caution tape around his mouth like just watch what he's gonna say he's a real firecracker like right it's like he's like the andrew dice clay of like fucking lawyers that's it and fuck you <laughs> fuck him like whatever so and, and, and but wait, we also have that one moment where we see him actually directing the shot. He's sitting for his interview. Guys, he's an interview subject. And he's like in the middle of answering a question. He stops the scene to like shout at the Netflix crew to quiet the people outside. They got to stop. Who's talking outside? You got to get them away. Who's talking out there? They got to stop. Who's talking? <laughs> Zip it. Jeffrey, enough. It's unbelievable he thinks i think you should love yourself everyone you should love yourself love you that's oh yes you know love yourself he takes it to a point it's a little much because yeah. he is constantly he's like my art is the art of telling stories jeffrey figer is a showboat jenny jones show better be ready for this he was a drama major in college in the courtroom who's gonna stand up for you he likes his stardom here in metro detroit you see billboards and ads on television my art is the art of telling stories and then it's like oh of course you were a drama major in college he's making of all course. these shitty commercials he's an ass well, but then we see him in the courtroom. He gives his opening statement and we hear part of it. We learn that it goes on for two and a half hours and he spends five minutes like describing the entrance to the cemetery where Scott was laid to rest. If any of you should be able at any particular time on any particular day to observe the, the entrance into the Ottawa Cemetery. Remember when Michael Scott in the office starts saying like, I, I live by this. Don't for any reason, for anything whatsoever, don't for any reason. And then it cuts to him being like, sometimes I start a sentence and I just don't know where it's going. This <laughs> opening statement was two and a half hours of that because he goes, it yeah. could be a cloudy day or a windy day or a sunny day or a snowy day. It could be a weekend. It could be a weekday. It could be six in the morning. It could be six at night. And I'm like, what are you talking? Can you imagine two and a half hours of this? I mean, my God. No, because you know, the courtrooms are all hot. Everyone's thirsty. Same girl. I'm living it. I know. I know. No. <laughs> so we start to see the actual trial and they get all of the producers of the Jenny Jones show like in the stand. And I got to tell you, I'm sorry, you guys. I'm sure you work really hard. I'm sure you just wanted to work in TV, but you're all kind of garbage and you're all kind of culpable and you're all fucking lying through your teeth. Well, that's the thing, right? So he has these people and like he's definitely trying to gotcha them. And sometimes he does. And sometimes he's absolutely right. And we'll get there in a minute when Jenny Jones herself takes a step. <laughs> 
But he just keeps trying to say like, so your job is to manipulate people, right? Because if it's a secret crush and you're telling him it could be a woman, knowing full well it's not going to be a woman, and you're doing this to like embarrass him or get a reaction. And one of them was like, We told all the guests on that show not to say who it was. So you told him to lie to Jonathan Schmitz, didn't you? They called about a secret crush show. So it's you a point- secret. It's called Secret Crush. It was supposed to be a secret. What do you want? <laughs> and I'm like, but you ha- you can't sit there and say like you did everything with all the integrity in the world and you right. just, you can't understand. I don't know. Look, they chose to have a fist fight. It's, it wasn't our fault that we surprised a guy who had a one night stand and now he has a two year old baby. Right. You know, like, <laughs> like that, that's completely out of our hands. Like all of this just happens to the Jenny Jones producers. So we're, we're getting all this testimony from people on the stand and we have like, you know, Donna, the friend and then Scott's friends and Jonathan's friends. And we're getting this story about how, like, remember how they all flew back together after the taping? Yeah. And they went to a bar and they started partying. And so, like, everyone says they partied for, like, into the night, uh, into yes. the next day. They went to a bar, yeah. they went back to Donna's house. That, like, no one argues that. But we we hear from some people that, like, once they get back to Donna's and the party keeps going, that Scott and John were slow dancing and then hooked up. He told me that they, he and... John had slow danced and kissed. Excuse me. How does he come here now for the first time without disclosing? He told me that they had slept together and he wanted me to meet him. Did it happen? No, it didn't happen. Some people say it absolutely happened. Some people say it definitely didn't happen. Let me tell you, until I saw this episode, I thought that was the story. I thought the story was they went on the show. He said he had a crush. They went back home and they totally hooked up. And then the next day, this guy killed him. That was the story I always knew to be true. And I don't think it was. Donna, the the one who would know better than anybody, the one who was there, says that never happened. Right. But now we're getting into, remember Jonathan's dad who we hate? Okay, I've got so much to say about this part. We're here now. Yeah, Jonathan's dad is testifying on the stand and we find out that Jonathan called his dad from the bar. So they fly home together, they go to this bar, they're getting hammered. Jonathan called his dad from the bar and said like, he called me in Bruski's bar. He said, uh, that thing didn't work out very well in Chicago for me, dad. He said, uh, He said uh, it was a guy. Through back and forth with the lawyer, we find out that the dad totally fucking melts down when he finds out that the person with the secret crush was a guy. Like, he gets him to admit that he used the anti-gay F word. He threw a chair. When he finally did call you after the show had been taped, you made it pretty clear to him in that phone conversation you were angry. And in fact, you said, gay what? Bastards. Sure that's all you said? I... It was something, it was an expletive of that, whatever. In fact, what you said began with an F and ended with an S, didn't it? Yes. And you threw a chair, didn't you? Yes. This guy's homophobia runs so deep that he threw a chair across a room that his son wasn't even in. And Jonathan's dad is on the stand saying, yeah, you know, he had a lot of issues in his relationships with females, which is so annoying. Did you ever discuss that he was very conflicted in his relationship with females? Absolutely. Because he had lots of conflicts with lots of females. But it had to do again with girls. I want you to know that. Girls. Yes, sir, I know. Okay. Not any guys. Girls, no guys. Not any guys. That's right. Absolutely not, sir. No guys. Right. Just females. Girls, okay? Always girls. I want you to know that. I want that on the record. It was girls. It wasn't guys. And I'm like, you're homophobia, girl. It's unbelievable. And then somebody says, and they go, they sort of breeze right past this, but somebody says that the dad is the one who told Jonathan the only way you're going to survive this, because remember, this episode is going to air and people are going to think you are gay, son. The only way you're going to survive this and keep your heterosexuality intact, girl, is to go Mm -hmm. kill that guy. Explain, please, why 
you said that John had to kill Scott to prove he was not a homosexual. You said that the overwhelming humiliation that he would have felt that everybody thought he was a homosexual. Right. How would you feel if somebody thought you were a homosexual? It was the dad's idea. And this is being told to the dad on the stand who doesn't say, I said no such thing. His only retort is, well, how would you feel if someone thought you were a homosexual? Oh my and God. And I said, you know who thinks you're a homosexual? Me. I think you're gay, <laughs> Jonathan's dad, which is fucking great. I know. So Amy Whelan, my girlfriend, is back to tell us that like- When you watch the testimony by Jonathan's father, you get a glimpse into the household of the Schmitz when Jonathan was growing up. And I think that homophobia is a part of a lot of young people's childhoods still in this country. Just shows the extent of how far we have to go. Clearly, the idea of his son being gay was like a very big deal to the dad, which I also, again, think it speaks volumes of John that he was super open to having a gay friend. You know what I mean? But also- Totally. He lived with this sort of like, his dad would beat the shit out of him in front of all of his classmates. The gay thing was huge. Like, you be a man, be a man. Like that horrible, toxic masculinity that like results in shit like this. And I can't believe we spent 10 seconds, not even on the fact that the dad is like, yeah, I, I told him like why isn't the dad being charged with some kind like I don't understand and why is brother Frank the brother of the dead gay guy saying you know what he was a victim too no girl we are not all on the same fucking team here yeah I know because they like I guess Frank for the greater good which yeah. is like taking down Jenny Jones fine yeah totally like live with forgiveness in your heart Frank I get it but it just it like don't be on the same side as them they fucking killed your brother right so now Jeff Figer, the sensational lawyer guy, the, yeah. not, he's not like, he's like so great. He's sensational. Like he's trash, but you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> um, Jenny Jones herself takes the stand. Oh my God. But first, like we have five minutes of this, like leading up to Jenny Jones takes the stand. Jenny Jones, she's going to say, she's going to testify. And I actually remember when this happened. It was kind of a big deal. Really? Yeah, I... it was. It was a big deal. The nineties were fucking wild, girl. <laughs> it was a wild time. What a time to be alive. Just what the nineties. But she, of course, Figer has to say to one of the commentators she didn't look that good when she came in she didn't look like she'd had much sleep so Figer has like a couple good moves here but for the most part he really shows how garbage he is yeah. because he just has to attack the way she looks because she's exactly. a, and it just it's like just do your job and if you really are great at your job you don't need to pull punches like that like shut up and not for nothing and Jenny Jones is fucking garbage she looks like a million bucks everybody Jenny Jones looks great fuck you Figer Figer by the way look in the mirror girl want to see somebody who looks atrocious look in the fucking mirror orange fake tan <laughs> for days get a grip Figer that hair stop well, and the thing is like you he started it I right. wasn't gonna say anything about his appearance but don't just say that you know what I mean like make the statement in the courtroom by being awesome at your job yeah. don't do this shit I don't have any any time Figer <laughs> so he's trying to turn the tables on Jenny and he says it would be embarrassing to you to have somebody discuss with you here without discussing it with you in advance somebody's fantasy about tying you up to a hammock and licking whipped cream off of you with strawberries and champagne, that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? It could be exciting. And Jenny Jones, a woman, says, it would be exciting. Jenny Jones just committed perjury. <laughs> she lied on the stand. Get the fuck out of here with that. It would be exciting. The problem is, like, and we're going to learn more about this later. Jenny Jones never apologizes. She does nothing but double no. down for this. But Figer is forcing me to be on her side. Like, I'm not on her side, but he's forcing me to root for her because he's such a fucking garbage person. And then it cuts to Jeffrey Figer today. 
And he says two things here that make me crazy. Yeah. He says, And she was helpless with Jeffrey Figer, which is not a good way to be. And so I could have my way with her. She was helpless with Jeff Figer, and that's not a good way to be because now I can have my way with her. I One, know, the I third know. person. And two, don't sexualize it like that. Now I get to have my way with her. It's so gross. I know, I know. And then once he gets his stride, he really does start going in on her. And I'm glad, like, I'm glad she's having a bad fucking day. I'm glad yeah. that she's on the stand. I'm glad she's taking the fall for all the other garbage TV shows. This could have happened on any one of those shows. Yeah. I'm just glad to see her being held accountable. Yeah, because he keeps saying, like, yes or no, girl, you wanted to manipulate your audience. You wanted to manipulate the situation to get this audience reaction. Yes? Right. And she was dancing around it. She just looks really bad. And she, like, won't give him a yes or no answer. He's like, excuse me. Excuse me, Jenny. Yes right. or no. And she's like, I... <laughs> yeah. And she's just there to be evasive. And in the end, so remember, this is a civil trial. You don't need unanimous. You just need a majority rule because mm -hmm. also civil trials never fucking hold up but so eight out of the ten jurors agree with the family they are awarded 25 million dollars and frank the brother says like we did what we came for to teach them guys you can't do that but in the end they don't get anything the no. family doesn't get the 25 million dollars because after three years after the civil verdict warner brothers challenges the ruling in the michigan court of appeals and they win and i'm like cool now do adnan right. appeals <laughs> Cool. Can we do that now? Right. Great. Yeah, and it's like, Figer makes this point where he's like, you know, those fucking jurors were garbage. Not one person can name any of those jurists who took it away. And the minute they died, nobody remembered that they ever lived on the face of the earth. And people still remember Scott Amador. And I think that I would rather have that than all the money in the world. I will say that, at least for me, it's true. Like, I, maybe it's because I'm a gay person, but I remember this very clearly, this murder. And there is something to be said for that. Like, I'm sure put an end to this kind of shit. And then we see Jenny Jones. And, you know, they say Jenny Jones was never apologetic about this. She gives this interview where she says, The one thing that I sort of come away with after all this is I really am just very cynical about the press. Jenny, you are the press. You uh -huh. are the press. Yeah, and you know, the Jenny Jones show, this happened in 1995. Her show was on the air until 2003. So like, what lessons did anybody learn? I know. Honestly, like like what came from this? The, the family didn't get any settlement. Warner Brothers, the big corporation wins. Jenny Jones never apologizes, doubles down. Someone is dead. You know, it's like, you know, we're seeing footage. It's like Jenny Jones was on the air until 2003 and we get this footage of like the Kissing Cousins episode. Like what? <laughs> like no good came out of this at all. Like no good came out of it. Nobody won, really. Like what, where is Jenny Jones today? Like, what is her life like? I'm not going to Goog Jenny. I'm not going to give her that. I'm not going to give her my time. Yeah, and like, the brother of Fred is saying, like, I just wish that he'd be understood for who he is and not some gay person that confessed his crush to somebody on TV as if he was a criminal or something. And there's this moment that stood out to me where the filmmakers are like, what do you think he'd be doing today? And he's like, he might be working with you guys. He would have loved that kind, this kind of stuff. This is his thing. Yeah, he'd have loved this stuff. It just made me think about, like, Scott, the victim here for a second, because he was really strong. He was really self-aware. He went on TV and talked about gay shit in a time when you just didn't do that. He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't afraid. And he seemed like a really badass guy. Like, I'm sad that I never got to know him. Yeah. And, you know, Jonathan made those choices. He made the choice to buy the gun and he made the choice to commit murder. I will never get over that we're not talking about the dad more. Like, I'm never going to get over the <laughs> fact that, that Jonathan is, a, uh, yes, made his decisions, but is a product of this homophobic, bully, abusive 
person who straight up admitted I told my son to kill this guy. I know. Why aren't we having a bigger conversation about this? I will never, I ever <laughs> get over it. <laughs> Fuck him. And we see the guy, Jonathan Schmitz, gets out of jail in 2017 after 22 years. Girl, I heard nothing about this when it happened. I can't nothing. believe I didn't see a, a word about it. Well, 2017, right. that was <laughs> right after 2016. So everyone was kind of distracted. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's a good time to be re- released from prison if you're like an unapologetic murderer. I guess. Right. When there was another fake tan that everyone was crying over and upset about. You know. Oh my God, you guys, we did episode one of Trial by Media. Look, episode two is available right now and ad-free on the Patreon. It's about the subway vigilante in New York City. I can guarantee you, you're going to get a lot of Jillian's Queens accent in this one. Sure. Always. Of course. And it was directed by Sky Borgman, our friend, the director of Abducted in Plain Sight. Look, she's got a million things going on right now, but this just happens to be the first thing that has come out since Abducted in Plain Sight. She is a mm-hmm. she's a genius. She's a master. This episode is incredible. Um, so go. It's available right now and ad-free uh, at the $5 level on Patreon. It'll be there for a week, and then we'll move it to the regular ad-free tier. But go check it out, you guys. Yep. Yeah, I want to say, again, on the Patreon, that's where you get our series. If you want more laughs, there's over like 100 140 full bonus episodes to download a bitch right this second. Yeah, everything from McMillions to the Jinx to everything that you've wanted us to cover. Have they ever done this series? We did it. I mean, try it. We, yeah. we probably <laughs> did it. And if we didn't, I promise you it's on our list. We have an ever-growing list. We'll get to all of them. Girl, tell the people about the merch. We totally revamped our merch. We have more of it. Let the women do the work. Give it a goog. Masks now. Yeah. And... Every last cent is going to charity. How about that? We're super excited about that. So these episodes don't have individual trailers, but we found something that we can sort of use as a trailer. And I want you guys to hear it because this episode is so great and you need to go listen to this episode right now. So stay tuned for our like hilarious outtakes. Um, (laughs) Oh, and we love you. We love you. Don't watch trashy TV. I mean, you can, but like don't. Right. Don't be a Jenny Jones, you know? (laughs) Just don't be a Jenny Jones. That's more, watch the trashy TV. If you need need to fix your housewives, that's okay. You can do it. Just don't be a Jenny Jones, you know? All right, bye. (laughs) Bye. And we begin with a story that says something about our times. The story of the subway vigilante. To many New Yorkers, this man has become a folk hero. It was the most notorious subway ride in history. For teenagers, caught a train from the Bronx. They traveled to Manhattan looking for some big city excitement. And boy, did they find it. An event that became an instant metaphor in the American national dialogue about street crime and the limits of self-defense. The media was doing its job. It was fear, fright, hysteria, and hype. The case has touched a nerve that has brought it into the national and international spotlight. We were able, for the first time, to get the issue of race front and center in the city in a mass media setting. The whole bloody world exploded on the newspapers and TV. It was incredible. When they walked into that car and they started messing with him, they didn't realize that the time bomb was already ticking. Tick, 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 tick. A lot of 
words that were hard to say in a row. Hard-hitting questions to Tanya Harding Connie. Hard-hitting questions to Tanya Harding Connie. There you go. You did it. <laughs> I want a hat. You got so mad at her when she did that. I d don't <laughs> sit here. You, she spent eight hours with Netflix too, body movement. Don't right. come for me. I didn't want to do it. I did it for the listeners. I didn't want to sit and watch that shit. I did it for everyone listening. So body movement, don't you dare come for me, girl. Oh my God. Does it take much for me to get ramped up about that? Finger out of my face. Body moving. Enough. I don't like it. Okay, the gays can have it. You guys can have it. I'm not going to take it away from you. What do you want? The rainbow pride flag too, Jillian? Great, fine. I have a rainbow pride flag in my home. Is that allowed? Is that okay? Sorry, I sat on a remote. My TV just turned on. Like Netflix is on. Like, what is going on here, girl? So wait, girl, hold on. There's like, there's audio coming. 